And as a church, over the past kind of three months, we've been going through this book of the Bible and found in the New Testament. And specifically today, we're going to be looking at prayer. What is prayer and, and does it actually work? And so I'd like to invite you for the next 20 minutes or so to just journey with me as we unpack this passage and look a little bit more in depth into prayer. But let me tell you a little bit about my story. So um, when I was 19 years old, I was convinced that I was going to go to circus school in London. And the year before, I had already been accepted at the National Center for Circus Arts, but I decided to, to turn that down because I was going to take a year out, uh, and that felt right at the time, and I thought, well, I'll just reapply next year, no problem, that will be fine. So this was the following year, I, I had reapplied, I, it was a two-day rigorous audition process, I was preparing the night before in London, and I decided, well, I'll go to a church service, I'll just visit a church. So I was worshiping and praying and, and all sorts of things. And at the end, the, the guy who was leading worship came up to me at the end of the service. And he said, oh, I felt prompted by God to pray for you. And I was like, oh, that's nice. So uh, I told him my situation. I said, I'm going to circus school. This is my plan. This is, this is where I'm headed. Uh, pray with me about it. And I remember while he was praying with me, he said these words. He said, if you get onto this program, we will praise the Lord. And I was like, yeah. And then he said, and if you don't get it, we will praise the Lord. And I was like, huh? That's not fair. But anyway, I was, I was appreciative of him praying with me, and, and that was lovely, and I felt peace and stuff. And so I went and did the two-day rigorous audition process, and come to find out, I didn't get it. And I was disappointed and confused, and, and I brought my disappointment and confusion to God. I thought this was my plan. This was, this was where I was headed. I thought this is what I was being called into. And it wasn't until much, much later uh, that I realized, actually, in hindsight, it always helps. In hindsight, I could see God's plan for my life was so much better than I had even realized. And his plan and his timing was better as well. More, more, more better? You can't say that. It, it was just better than anything that I could have planned myself. And so that was a real testing time for me in terms of learning to rely on God, not just in everything that I was doing, but also in my prayer, in my conversation with him, to fully rely on, on him. And so what is prayer? Well, that's what prayer is. Prayer is a conversation with God. It's where you can bring your, your hopes, your thanks, your thanksgiving, your, you can bring your adoration to God, the creator of the universe. But you can also bring your burdens and your frustrations and your requests as well. But you have to remember to listen because as a conversation with another person, it's a two-way thing. So praying is a two-way conversation with God. A report from the Church of England in 2022, that's last year, uh, when they surveyed a bunch of adults in the UK, it said this, that 48% of adults surveyed had prayed at some point in their life. And 28% said that they had prayed in the last month. Now, it seems that people are happy to rely on themselves when times are good, but when everything falls apart, why is it that we feel like we have to rely on some higher hope, when that we need something to cling to? And, and really, over the last few years, it has been a really difficult time for our society, and it seems like it's headed in that same direction. I really like the words from this song called Laughing With by Regina Spector. I think it sums up kind of society's view of prayer and prayer with God really well. It says these words in that song, no one laughs at God in a hospital. No one laughs at God in a war. 
No one's laughing at God when they're starving or freezing or so very poor. Because when things get really serious, where do we turn to? Is that an honest snapshot of our culture, of humans? Say when a character on EastEnders uh, is visiting their really ill friend and they say, you know, I'm not one for religion, but I've been praying for you every single day. Why does that resonate with us? What is it about that? Whether we would call ourselves Christians or whether we don't know what we believe in, if anything at all, there's something in that. Jesus teaches his followers how to pray by introducing the Lord's Prayer in the Bible. It's a really well-known prayer. You might have heard it before. Maybe you know it off by heart. It says these words, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And that can be a really good starting point if you're kind of wanting to give prayer a try, but you don't know where to begin because it gives a little bit of a structure of a way that we can pray. But what is fantastic about God, who is so big and so powerful and almighty, that even without any structure in our prayers, God can still hear them. Even when all we can do is just try and mumble some words through the tears or scream into our pillow, or even, even when we can't form the words in our mouth, God can still hear our prayers. So let's come back to the passage that was read to us from James. I thought it'd be really helpful to do a quick recap. The, the book of James is in the New Testament, in the Bible, and it's written by James, obviously. And he was the half-brother of Jesus. And we've been unpacking this book of the Bible for around three months, kind of looking at the practical applications that James is teaching about in the book, but also drawing out the moments where James would have been referring to or drawing upon the teachings of his brother Jesus. Because he would have witnessed and been present for a lot of Jesus' life and a lot of his ministry as well. So the passage that we had read, it goes through at the beginning three possible scenarios. It talks about, is anyone in trouble or or, uh, suffering? It says, is anyone happy? And then it says, is anyone sick? And it says kind of what we should do in those circumstances. Now, last week, Judy spoke about how we can find Jesus in the midst of our suffering and how actually uh, it can be, we can use our own trials to help others and point to God. It was really helpful. If you missed it, do go back and, and watch that online. Is anyone cheerful? Well, sing songs of praise, it says. And actually, that's something that we do every Sunday as a church. We gather together. We sing praises to God. I'm sure people do that midweek uh, as well when they're washing the dishes or, or whenever. But what about praying for the sick? Well, Scott McKnight talks about this word, sick, referring to a variety of illnesses, occasionally even describing someone on the verge of death. But we can see in John 5, verse 3, the same word is used to describe people with a variety of disabilities, including someone who is paralyzed. Now, I don't know about you, but as I was reading this passage in preparation, I was reading again and again and again. It reminded me of another story involving Jesus. And that's the story of Jesus' encounter with the man who is paralyzed. And you can see this story in all three of the synoptic gospels. That's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And it was quite a big event in the town of Capernaum at the time. 
I'll give you a quick summary. So what's happening is Jesus is in this house. He's teaching, and there's loads and loads of people. It's super, super crowded. And there's these four men who have a friend who's paralyzed, and they want to bring that friend before Jesus uh, because they have heard, word has got out, that Jesus can help people. He can heal the sick. So they're, they're on their way to bring their friend to him. But they can't get in because there's so many people. The crowds are so big, they can't get in. Somehow they managed to get on top of the roof of this house. They smashed a hole in the roof. Don't know what the repairs would have been like for that, but it doesn't matter. They smashed a hole in the roof and they lower their friend right in front of Jesus on a mat. Jesus sees the faith of, just go back a slide for me. Thank you. Jesus sees the faith of the friends and he um, says to the man who is paralyzed, your sins are forgiven. And that makes the teachers of the law, the other religious leaders, really cross uh, because only God can forgive sins. And they think this Jesus is talking rubbish. Now Jesus can read their minds. And so he says, what is easier, to forgive sins or to say, get up and walk to the paralyzed man? Because, and then Jesus says, because all authority has been given to the Son of Man to forgive sins on earth. And he's talking about himself. And just to prove his point, he says to the man who's paralyzed, get up, take your mat, and go home. And he does. And everyone's like, wow, this is like wild. And they're celebrating and praising God. And so that's the story that it reminded me of. And if we hold this story in the Gospels, side by side with the story or the passage that we read in James, we can see a bunch of thematic similarities. Because it is possible that James was there when that event happened in, in that town. But even if he wasn't there, he would have heard about that event because of how big it was. Uh, okay, now you can go to the next slide. So this is the work that I did in terms of picking apart all the different details. Don't worry if you can't see it because the next slide now is the highlights. And this is the one that we'll look at. Perfect. So... The thematic similarities we can see in these two passages are this. In James, it talks about, is anyone among you sick? And then in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, in that story, it talks about the paralyzed man, someone who was sick. James talks about the elders coming together to pray, and it's, the, it's some men that come together bringing the friend who's paralyzed, who is sick. Uh, James talks about prayer offered in faith, and Jesus sees the, their faith. And then it says, if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And finally, he says, the Lord will raise them up. And Jesus himself says, get up. So great. So somehow they're connected. Somehow there's linking. James might be referring to some of the themes to do with this. But what's the point? What's the point of making these connections? Well, as always, with everything to do with the Bible, it's helpful to remember that this whole book, the whole book of the Bible, is about Jesus. Everything is to do with him. And this story with the paralyzed man helps us to understand a little bit more about who Jesus is and what our relationship with him can be like. Because one of the things that it reminds us of is our need to pray for others, not just for ourselves. Did you notice? Jesus sees the faith of the friends and not just the man who is lying there paralyzed. In the same way that they went above and beyond, literally smashing through the ceiling to lift their friend before Jesus. We can do the same when we lift our friends before Jesus in prayer. We can intercede for our friends, our coworkers, our neighbors, praying for them when they're sick. Not just for their earthly bodies, but, but pray for them to know Jesus and become purified by his love and grace so that they may be reconciled and, and find forgiveness as well. Our walk with Jesus, our relationship with him, it, 
which also includes our prayer life and our prayers. It is not an individual or isolated act. We need people around us, people who we can confess our sins to and, and who we can ask to pray with us and we can pray with them. Let me tell you, every single person in this room has had someone pray for them at some point in their life, even if you didn't know it. I know that for sure. I know it. You can see that Jesus teaches us to pray. He starts with our Father, not my Father. This is a collective, a collaborative faith practiced in community. But we know that anyway. We know, we know as humans, we're not, we're not created to be alone. We're created to be with others. And we need friends and community around us in order to survive and thrive as well. When I had some incredible challenges myself in my life and it felt like my prayers were running dry some friends of mine said to me that they said we will pray on your behalf when you can't we will fast on your behalf that's our job and we can do that for you and it was almost as if they were lifting me on a mat before Jesus when I couldn't even hold myself up. Only in church can you find this level of love and commitment to one another in this family. Because we have a role model in Jesus who loves us unconditionally, who loves us so much, he commits himself so much to us that he's willing to lay down his life for us. The way of the world says, I'll help, but what's in it for me? Or I'll love you. But what do I get out of this? Whereas Jesus models servant leadership and putting others' needs before our own, loving others selflessly. Imagine the world that we could live in if we all did that. So let's remember to not just think of ourselves, but to be praying for others as well. Another helpful reminder is, is this, we can draw from the passage. So in the ancient world, illness and misfortune was connected to one's sin. Andy Davis, who many of you will know, I'm not sure, is he here this morning? I'm not sure. Um, but you, he's part of the Riverside Church family. We love him. He wrote this in one of his books. He said these words. When Jesus saw the man lying in front of him with enormous physical needs, he chose to say, your sins are forgiven. The people around must have thought, well, obviously they're not forgiven because he's still lying there. Remember, if anyone was disabled, it was because of their sin. So if Jesus really had forgiven his sins, the people thought it would be evident from the fact that he got better. Jesus deliberately left the man unhealed for a little bit longer just to make the point that it was possible that somebody could still be disabled even after Jesus declared him righteous in his presence. The subsequent healing was merely a sign to prove to the Pharisees and the crowd that he really did have the authority to forgive sins. And that's such a helpful reminder from Andy about the situation that sometimes we even face today, where people think that your misfortune is due to something that you've done bad or you've done wrong yourself. But we live in a broken world, and the reality is we will never have perfectly healthy bodies, and our mental health is going to fluctuate from good to poor to back and forth again. But to have your sins forgiven, that is something 
incredible that will have a lasting impact beyond even this life here on earth. Now, you might be thinking, well, that's fine for you, but I don't really sin. I live a good life. I give to charity. I volunteer in the community. I'm kind and encouraging to others. So I don't really need to have my sins forgiven. Well, the thing is, we do all sin. And a helpful way of looking at sinning, if you're kind of not really sure what that means, a helpful way is to think about it as anything that hurts other people, anything that hurts ourselves, anything that hurts God or his creation. We all sin because we're human and we make mistakes. I loved in his baptism testimony just now, we saw Alex speaking about how that sin separates us from God. And you know, God wants us to do better, but he knows that we can't do it on our own. And that's why he sent Jesus, his son, here to this earth to show us how to live life to the full. He was fully God and fully human. And then when he died on a cross, he took all our sin and shame and three days later rose again so that we can have relationship with God if we choose to believe. This is who the Redeemer Jesus is. This is who we put our trust in to answer our different prayers when we're speaking with him, whether we come with a crisis or whether we come with thanks or whether we come with still waiting, waiting for those answers in prayer. Jesus is the same good God all through our lives. Um, I grew up in a, in a Christian home. I had really loving parents. Uh, they brought me to church. And yet... I spent the majority of my upbringing thinking that I wasn't good enough, that I was too sinful to be forgiven. Of course, I made mistakes. I, I lied. I manipulated. I, I hurt people knowingly. And because of all those things, I thought that I had to keep being better and better and better. Otherwise, I wouldn't be forgiven and I wouldn't be accepted in God's kingdom. And it felt like I could, I could never do enough. I was like one small mistake, one bad mistake away from God catching me out and kicking me out of his good plan. I was operating out of a guilt instead of relationship. And it wasn't until I was 18 years old where I heard some teaching on the grace of God. That God's spirit must have just flicked the switch in my head because suddenly I got it. I understood I didn't have to do anything anymore. Jesus had done it all for me. It was already done. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but Jesus is enough. His grace is sufficient for me. There's nothing I have to do. Jesus has done it. All I have to do is believe. Oh, what a relief. What a relief. I remember that day I just cried the whole day. When, I, when that clicked in my head. And you know, it didn't mean that I suddenly stopped sinning. That's not what it meant. I still make mistakes. I still hurt people sometimes. I wish I didn't. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you'll know that you're a work in progress. And the more time we spend with Jesus, whether in prayer, in conversation with him, or whether in reading his word, everything, the book about him, the more time we spend with Jesus, the more we become like Jesus, holy and good. And more important than all of that is that this message of hope wasn't just for me, it was for the whole world. Each one of us is like the paralyzed man who can't even get himself up due to the weight that we're carrying. And yet Jesus says to us, your sins are forgiven. 
The last bit of the passage that was read to us, James talks about the prayer of a righteous man or a righteous person, how it's powerful and effective. And he's talking about Elijah, who's a prophet in the Old Testament. It's referencing a passage you can read in 1 Kings 17 and 18. I'm not going to go into the details of it now, but I do encourage you to go and read that in your own time because it is very interesting uh, if you can have a look and see where you see the links to the passages that we've looked at today. I found it fascinating. In those passages, Elijah prays for a widow's son who has died and God hears his cry and the boy's life returns to him. A miracle. Elijah then says, look, your son is alive. There is power in prayer. There is power in our prayers. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you will believe that that same power that was in Elijah then, through the Holy Spirit, through his prayers, is in us today as his followers. We also can see from this story that it's foreshadowing the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if we jump ahead back to the New Testament, we can read in the Gospels, as the hour got nearer to when Jesus would be hung on a cross and killed, Jesus went to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Pete Gregg says, as Jesus prays in Gethsemane, we are granted one of the most moving insights into the intimacy of his relationship with the one who sent him. We too are able to find that intimacy with God through our prayers. Whether we're in trials or whether we're in times of joy or whether we're desperate for a miracle for ourselves or for a loved one. Jesus knows our suffering because he himself has gone through the most severe of sufferings. And God loves us so much that he laid down his life for us in Jesus. So we can have salvation, we can have redemption, and we can have this relationship with God and go directly to him in our conversation, in our prayer. We don't need to, we don't need to sacrifice a lamb in order to go before God. We don't need to go through a priest in order to be presentable. We can go directly to God thanks to Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that we have this relationship with God. And all three of those people getting baptized today, they know this and are excited to share about this relationship they have with God, with their friends and their family as well. Just going back to the question I asked at the beginning, does prayer work? Well, I suppose it depends on what you're expecting to achieve through prayer. If it's just the answers and outcomes that we want and that we think are best, then perhaps not. God's not a genie. Andrew Murray, a 19th century South African writer, once said, the power of prayer depends almost entirely upon our apprehension of who it is with whom we speak. So if we align ourselves with God's will and deepen our relationship with him, then I think, yes, Prayer does work. And it's when we're in line with God's will that it can be the most powerful tool that we have. So, in summary, we have looked at the significance of holding others in prayer, how this is not just an independent practice. We've talked about the significance of Jesus forgiving our sins and the lasting impact that that holds. And we've also looked at how, prayer, how powerful prayer can be 
when we do it in relationship with God and when we seek his will for our lives and for our world. Why do Christians continue to pray, though, when our prayers aren't answered or when things don't go the way that we had planned or expected? It's because this is a relationship. A relationship with God, between God and us. And relationships take effort. you got to put the work in. So let's make time to have those conversations with God where we bring others before him, where we thank God for forgiving our sins and acknowledge that he is Lord over our whole lives and always a loving father.